and thank you, musicians, singers. We appreciate your ministry this evening. If you have your Bibles tonight, would you turn them to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2? 2 Kings chapter 2, we're going to read verses 19 through 22 in a moment. And I want to preach a message I've entitled this evening, New Streams and New Dreams. And, um, you know, the situation of a city can be an awe-inspiring thing to see. Any of you have ever flown coming into a large city, sometimes you see the uh, just the architecture of the way the city's laid out. It's just very awe-inspiring, and uh, there's, there's many different cities that have uh, things that cause you to say, man, that's really, you know, there's something about that, that that hits you in a certain way. We were just driving through Atlanta a while back, and the way the sun was setting, they had some like copper reflected glass on the skyscrapers there and, and, and it brought this hue, you know, upon the city and different things. It's just kind of awe-inspiring to see a big city and it kind of uh, hits you in a certain way. Years ago, my wife and I were pioneering in Seattle. My family, uh, we, we were there and, and we went up to the city of Vancouver, Canada to see Larry Beauregard when he was pastoring up there and so we went up for a rally that... Uh, was happening with Pastor Warner. We were coming back, and uh, it was about a three-hour, probably about a four-hour drive, and so we went through this service, and we came back that night. We come back like 2 o'clock in the morning, coming down I-5, and when you're coming back down uh, from uh, Vancouver into Seattle, uh, right before Seattle, you know, you, you don't see anything for a long. You're going up and down hills and stuff. You don't see anything. All of a sudden, you kind of see this glow, like over the next hill. You know, you kind of see a little bit of glow, and you're coming down. I remember it was 2 o'clock in the morning. Most of the people in the car were asleep. And, and so I'm driving along, and I crested this hill. And as I crested this hill, there was the city of Seattle. I mean, you hadn't seen anything for a long time. And all of a sudden, it's like, boom, it hit you. It was like it literally took my breath away. Because it was just this, this power, all these lights and stuff, and you can see the skyscrapers reflecting off of the uh, Lake Union, you know, perfectly reflected skyscraper, and just, and just you see that, it just like hits you, man, it does something to you. And so cities have something to them that are inspiring, but you know, when you fly, it's, it's uh, you can, you don't see all the stuff that's going on down the streets. You know, flying as an evangelist, you fly, you come in, you see all the architecture and all the awe-inspiring things, <laughs> then you land and you start driving through the streets and go, looks a lot different on the street than it does from the air, because you see all the problems, you see the homelessness, you see the, you know, you, you see the, uh, uh, you know, shops for marijuana, you know, all kinds of things going on, and so you realize that, hey, from the air, it looks really good, but when you get really down in the city, you know, sometimes it doesn't look so good. But there is something about a city that can touch you. you know, the Bible talks about um, uh, Jerusalem in Psalm 48, 2 through 5, beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. The city of the great king. God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. For behold, the kings assembled. They passed by together. They saw it. And so they marveled, they were troubled, they hastened away. So here's these kings. When God was moving in revival in his people, and God was visiting them, these kings would come and literally see the city of Zion, maybe the city of Jerusalem, uh, on the hill there, and they'd be hit so hard, it would scare them and they would leave. That's what the scripture says. 
And so a city can have impact. It can have awe. It can, you know, do a lot of things. And, and tonight we're going to read about another city. That city is the city of Jericho. Very large city. A lot of influence. But it has some problems. So this is Elisha. He has just come into his ministry. Elijah has been taken up into heaven. Elisha has received his mantle. He's performed one miracle, and this is actually the second miracle that Elisha performs. Uh, but I want to read this story and go into this story, and I think there's a lesson here, not just for cities, uh, but for us as people. So let's go ahead and read verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there, uh, there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. And so I want to begin tonight and talk about a great city with bad waters. It says in verse 19, it says, um, the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And so what he's saying is, you know, this city really looks good from the outside. When you're approaching the city, it really looks good. It's awe-inspiring. He said, but there's barrenness. And there is, uh, uh, the water's bad. How many of you know that that can be a testimony of a city that's operating under a curse? You know, I was, uh, I was preaching in Seattle um, after I left there and became an evangelist. And I was in the nice part of town. They put me in a hotel downtown because the, the church is pretty close to there. And I was kind of just relaxing in my hotel room before the service, and, and I heard a siren. I just remember kind of looking out the window of this beautiful city. And, you know, sirens tell you that not all, that not all is well. You know, sirens tell you all is not well. It, whether, it's, you know, whether it's a policeman going to chase somebody, whether it's an ambulance going to pick somebody up, whether it's a fire truck going to a fire, a siren tells you all is not well. And sirens are a part of, you know, so you think about it, a siren is a part of the curse. It's a part of the curse upon the earth. There's a lot of cities that can have things on the outside going for it, but if you really look into it, there's all kinds of corruption. We have major cities today that are uh, falling out of, you know, the violence is common People many times are leaving these great cities, cities like San Francisco. It's a beautiful city. We live close to there for five years, love to go down there. But the crime and the violence is so rampant there now. Many people are not going there anymore. It's a beautiful city. It really is. To go and see the Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay Bridge, you could look for the Berkeley Pier. And My wife and I used to go down there all the time and just, just look at that, watch the sunset. It, it, you know, it's the, the, the situation of the city is pleasant, but the waters are bad. This can be true of an individual person. The situation of your life can be pleasant. 
but you can have bad things going on in your life. We, well, we, you know, we've, I've used Naaman a lot lately, but it's worth repeating in 2 Kings 5.1. Now Naaman, commander of the king of the Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, he was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. So here's this guy. He has all these things going for him. He's a mighty man of valor. He's a commander. He's a great and honorable man, but he's got leprosy. He's got bad waters, curse, you know, he's got some curses operating in his life. Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 25 through 28. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, and the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and in all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What Jesus is saying is that the situation of your life looks pleasant, but you have some curses operating. You've got some bad waters flowing in your life. You've got some spiritual barrenness uh, happening in your life. I mean, you know that we can appear good to people around us and have a lot of bad things going on inside of us. The reason that Jericho was experiencing bad waters is it was a city that God had cursed. God had cursed the city of Jericho. If you remember the story, Jericho was one of the great cities that God, uh, God's people conquered on the way to the promised land. It was the city where Rahab, if you remember, you know, the, 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 the scarlet thread uh, uh, you know, that, that she held outside her door and outside her window that, that caused her to be passed over. And they destroyed that city. In Joshua 6, 20, 21, and 24, 24 and 26, uh, it, says, so, it says, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. Uh, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold, the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord." Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, uh, with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. And so what Joshua is saying says, Look, uh, if you rebuild this city, it's going to be a curse on it. There's going to be a curse on it. He says, This city is not meant to be rebuilt. And so Jericho's operating under this curse. As a matter of fact, what Joshua said, the words that he spoke were actually fulfilled a little bit later in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 33 and 34. It says that Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hile of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. 
And so literally Joshua said, if anybody rebuilds this city, you're going to pay for it with, with your firstborn son and your youngest son. And this exactly happened just the way he spoke it to many years down the road as, as Ahab, you know, demonically inspired or whatever you want to call it, decides to rebuild this city. So Jericho is operating under a curse. Richard McNeely from Moody Press America says, We too live in a sick society in a curse-ridden world. The barrenness caused by the streams of spiritual death and the blindness of man's mind flowing throughout society are everywhere evident in the political, religious, and moral atmosphere of our times. Yet this condition is not always as apparent as it might seem. For there is much that is deceptively pleasant and appealing to our society and our world, especially in our country. Materialistically, there is a great deal of prosperity. There are majestic landscapes, magnificent buildings, gigantic malls of consumerism, educational facilities, electronic gadgets designed to make life easier, huge and wealthy religious organizations and structures, are, and on the list goes. Still in the midst of all this, the misery level is at an all-time high. Spiritual barrenness, like a giant shadow, falls over our land. No matter how hard men try, by and large, they are, they are turning to the wrong sources for happiness. The land remains barren. The streams that, the, that water the land are poisonous. The land is cursed. We see a lot of that happening in America. We'll look next at that was then and this is now. This is the hope of the story. This should give you great encouragement. Because the lesson of the healing of the waters of Jericho can be deeper than we realize. Elisha is recruited by the men of the city, the sons of the prophets, uh, that are operating under this horrible curse. It would have been easy for Elisha to tell them, hey, your city's cursed. God told you guys not to rebuild this. You know, you're just, hey, you're, you're operating under a curse, man. You're, you're operating against the will of God. You know, there's nothing I can do for you. But there's a bigger picture here, and we need to see this. Because earlier, before Elijah's taken up from Elisha and the other prophets, it says that God sent Elijah to Jericho in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. So Elijah's getting ready to transition into heaven. But before he does, God, he says, uh, he tells Elisha, Elisha, stay here for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. And then in verse 5, it says, so they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho. So look, we have, we have something happening here. What we have happening is God is sending Elijah to Jericho, number one. Number two, the sons of the prophets are living in Jericho. And so what this is telling us is God is getting ready to do something new. Yes, this city is cursed. But no doubt, God was sending Elijah and Elisha to heal the city that he had cursed through Joshua. This is a great story. Well, you just, you just read the story, you don't realize the background. Man, this story is like, it's tremendous. 
Because it shows you that God can bless something that was once cursed. God does judge, and we know that through the scriptures. But his heart is always to save, heal, redeem, and bless. Micah 7, 18 and 19 says, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us uh, and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. It says he does not retain his anger forever. We see this in the story of Jonah, that God sends Jonah in to pronounce a curse upon the, the city of Nineveh. And when people repented, God changed his mind. Think about your life, mistakes you've been made, you have made in your life, the consequences you've had to suffer. Well, sometimes God says enough is enough. That was then, this is now. Sometimes it's time to turn a page, to turn a chapter, stop operating under that, the old consequences of a past sin. I mean, if God can redeem a city, that he pronounced a curse on. He said, I'm going to curse this city. You rebuild this city, you're going to pay for it with two of your sons. You know, do not rebuild this city. Cursed is the man who rebuilds, who rebuilds this city. And now he's sending his prophets to redeem this city. Even when God judges harshly, he wants to bring redemption out of it. Interesting study. I won't get into the whole thing because it kind of takes it would take up too much time. But there's an interesting scripture in Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 3. And it bears out in other scriptures. But it says, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Wow, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so God is speaking comfort here, but there's an idea here that's saying that God has actually gave double consequences for their sin. That's a little scary, isn't it? Isaiah 40, verse 3, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So God is saying that the time of my judgment... And the time of my discipline is over, and now make, make straight a path for God to move. Make, make a way in the wilderness. Watch what I begin to do. I'm going to do that. And he's talking about this is the prophecy of John the Baptist. This is what he preached uh, when he came on the scene. There's other scriptures, Jeremiah 16, verse 18. It says, at first, uh, I will repay double for their iniquity and, and their sin because they have defiled my land. Jeremiah 17, 18. Let them be ashamed who persecute me, but do not let me be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, uh, and, but do not let me be, be dismayed. Bring on them the day of doom and destroy them with double destruction. Revelation 18, uh, speaking of Babylon, 5 and 6, in the end times it says, uh, For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works uh, in the cup which she has mixed, uh, and, and mixed double for her. And so it's almost like sometimes God says, Hey, I'm really mad. I'm going to pay you back twice as hard for what you did. Now, God's not unjust. We know that. 
But, but the idea is that sometimes even when God judges harshly, he always redeems. And even this situation of Jericho, God's end game is to comfort and bless and heal and redeem. There's an interesting scripture in Ezekiel 16, verses 48 through 55, talking about Sodom. And God's speaking to his people. This might scare you a little bit too. He said, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, Sodom and her daughters were never as wicked as you and your daughters. He's speaking to his people. He's saying Sodom was not as wicked as his own people. It's in the Bible. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. She was proud and committed detestable sins, so I wiped her out, as you have seen. Even Samaria did not commit half your sins. You have done far more detestable things than your sisters ever did. They seem righteous compared to you. Shame on you. Your sins are so terrible that you make your sisters seem righteous, even virtuous. But someday I will restore the fortunes of Sodom and Samaria, and I will restore you too. Then you tr will be truly ashamed of everything you have done, for your sins make them feel good in comparison. Yes, your sisters, Sodom and Samaria, and all their people will be restored. And at that time, you also will be restored. God is, you know, God is telling his people, he says, you are more wicked than the people of Sodom. We know what Sodom was. But he's telling his people, man, you are more wicked than that. At that stage, where they were in God. But God says, in spite of that, there's coming a day when I'm going to restore. He says, matter of fact, he says, I will restore the fortunes of Sodom. Now, I don't think he's done that yet. That may be happening something in the millennium. I don't know. You know I don't know how that's all going to work out. But God's end game is always to, to redeem, to heal, to bless and restore. That's the end game of God, of people that have committed horrible sins. Now, think about your sin in the light of Sodom. In the light of Israel that was worse than Sodom. Maybe God can turn it around, huh? We think about this for America. Because many times we say, well, America is too far gone, man. You know, we're just, we're at the end game here. Hey, if God can restore Sodom, God can restore America. If God can restore his people... From being worse than Sodom, God can move in revival in our nation. We should never lose hope. We understand this is not to stick your head in the sand or to or, you know, have some kind of a false hope, but this is to make us realize how big God is. We can make horrible mistakes and sins in our lives, and God comes to us and says, that was then, this is now. That was then, this is now. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He says, new streams and new dreams. See, when God turns things around, it's a, it's a very surreal thing. God's a surreal God. The word surreal means, it, is this really happening type thing? Is this really real? 
The only way I can describe surreal is years ago I was preaching in Santa Maria, California, and um, and the last night of the revival, the pastor took me down to Pismo Beach. Pismo Beach is really close to Santa Maria. And so they had just rebuilt the pier there on Pismo Beach. It's like 10 o'clock at night. We ate at this restaurant, there's a fish restaurant on the beach. And we decided to go for a walk on the pier. And it was a very unique night because it was a full moon. And, and the full moon was like causing the waves to like really rise up. And the, and the, and the full moon shining on the waters I don't know how to describe it other than you felt like you were walking in a postcard. You know, you know, a postcard that's been altered with, with all kinds of filters and stuff. That's what I felt like I was walking in. And even the other pastor was with me. He lived there. And he said, man, I've never been out here on a night like this. This is something, you know, it was surreal. My mother died uh, a few years ago, about three years ago. And she had always prayed for our family. And so when she died, I really felt God deal with me to pick up that mantle of praying for my family. So once a week, I lift up all of our immediate family members, about 64, 65 of us. And uh, I lift them up and pray for them. And uh, a while back, this was probably two or three years ago, my niece married a guy. He's a good guy, a good man. But he had no Christian upbringing or background in God whatsoever. And so as I'm praying for my family, I just begin to pray for him. I said that God would sovereignly move on his heart and awaken a, cra awaken a craving for God in his life. And I prayed that their children would receive the spiritual inheritance to, to be brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Well, lo and behold, I get a report that this guy got saved. My niece's husband got saved. He got saved on his own. God sovereignly encountered him. He prayed, got his heart right with God. No Christian background whatsoever. God sovereignly moves on him. He prays. His family comes out. He's from New Jersey. His family comes out to Phoenix, is where my brother lives, and so and where my niece lives, and so. Uh, comes out, and he's leading devotions. He's praying over the food. He's, I mean, it's just like, this guy got saved. And I remember thinking, wow, man, I've been praying for him. God's sovereign and kind. It's like, part of me is like, is this really happening? <laughs> you know, you ever do that? You pray for something, God just like shows up. You go, this is surreal. Psalm 126, 1 through 3, I think I read it. But when the Lord brings back, brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. He said it was surreal. We couldn't believe what God did. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. The psalmist said, you know, when God really moves, it's surreal. We're like those who dream. New streams, new dreams. I want to end tonight and talk about the cure for the curse. Elisha said, verse 20, and he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. There's a picture. Did you guys get the picture? 
and sent it to William and Cole. So uh, what's very interesting is this is the very stream, part of the well in, in Jericho that's still in operation today that still feeds agriculture around that area. And many people, you know, some people question, but it's, it's, it's pretty through geography and different things. This well is still operating today. Kind of gives a new meaning in verse 22 where it says, So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. So we can say the water is still healed today. Now this was a spring, a well, that God had cursed. And God turned it around and, he, and gave dominion. Okay, gave long-standing blessing that's still operating today. That's the power of God, saints. That's the power of God to take a life that was once unfruitful, once barren, once operating under the curse of sin and disobedience, and God can turn it around, give you a steadfast spirit, and cause your life to be fruitful and blossoming for years and years and years. You know, a lot of times when God's moving, doing something new, questions in the back of our minds, and how long is this going to last? How long am I going to make it? You can make it as long as you want. Some people question, you know, people have backslidden before. They can, well, I think I'm, I'm going to go back at some point. Man, I hope I can make it. Listen, you can make it as long as you need to make it. You can make it as long as you want to make it. God has enough power. He kept this spring operating to 2023, still bringing blessings. So the takeaway from this message is what's your takeaway? Don't let the bad waters of your past rob you of the fresh waters that God wants to bring you today. Okay? Jericho, they saw some, the sons of the prophets. Hey, Elisha's here. We got this problem. And they recruit him. Verse 19, the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice. The situation, the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground bare. Elisha, could you do something about this? And he realized, Elisha realized that Elijah being sent there and him going with him, him seeing him caught up into heaven, that God wanted to do something there in that city. The sons of the prophets there, God said there's a whole new city with a whole bunch of new people, and I can't let this curse continue because there's a whole new group of people here that didn't have anything to do with the past. You know, a lot of times the enemy works against us in the realm of our feelings. You know, we talk about mind battles. You ever had emotion battles? Not just mind battles, but the way you feel. Not just what you think, but the way you feel. Chris Valentin said, some people experience warfare without a thought or a picture in their minds, but with awful feelings. False impulses or unctions that rage against their souls. But no matter what manifestation spiritual warfare takes on, the most important fact to remember is that these are the symptoms of the enemy's devious plot to steal our inheritance, to destroy our very lives. You ever battle that? Your life where you, you just, it's like an awful feeling. It's not just mind battles. It's not just things coming against you in words and thoughts. It's like these emotions that tell you that things are bad, that you're bad. You're not going to make it. See, God's people 
and people being renewed is the answer to the curse. Think of, think of verses 20 and 21 again. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there. Thus says the Lord, I've healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So what's the picture? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And so what does the salt do? The salt goes to the source. What do we do when we go on outreach? The salt is going to the source of the city. The salt is going to the bad waters downtown. The salt is going to the bad waters in apartment complexes. And, and we preach, uh, you know, when people are coming into game day, different things that we do. We're confronting the, the source of the bad waters and barrenness that are happening in Athens. And as we do that, the city will be healed. And the city is being healed. This, this church is a testimony of the gradual healing of Athens, Georgia. And we're not the only church. We understand that. But this church is a testimony of God's taking the salt to the source of the city and confronting barrenness, uh, confronting the curse of sin and turning it around for the glory of God. Richard McNeely again says, in Scripture, believers are portrayed as mere earthen vessels containing the treasure of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that the power of salvation might be clearly seen to be of God and not of man. Note also that re Elisha requested not just a bowl, but a new bowl, which perhaps portrays the believer, a regenerated new person, a new creation of God who is to represent the Lord in the world as an ambassador and priest of God who is to declare the excellencies of God and his salvation in Jesus Christ to a lost and cursed world. See, we are the salt of the earth. We go to the source when we outreach and we preach the gospel to the lost. Salt is a preservative, a retards spoilage. It seasons, it gives flavor, and makes food more palatable and enjoyable. It causes thirst. There's the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? Not necessarily. You can feed him salt, and he'll make him thirsty to drink. It irritates. Have you ever heard the saying that uh, the salt in a wound but it also is healing, uh, it's a healing property, it's a healing and purifying agent, it purifies. You know, when we lived in Kansas, they had the Morton file called salt mines. When we lived there, I used to drive by them on my night truck route when I worked a job there, a graveyard job delivering auto parts, and I would drive by the Morton file called salt mine. At that time, this was in the uh, middle 80s, and they still had films from Hollywood that were on reels. And so an actual film, it wasn't digital then, so everything was on a film. And they would store a lot of the Hollywood movies uh, in these salt mines. And the reason was, is they noticed that when they had these uh, films they'd store in Hollywood, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the elements would begin to eat up the films, and they'd show them later, and there was all this you know, grainy things on the films and stuff. And they noticed that by putting these films in a salt mine, it kept all the moisture and corruption away from these films to present the original color and clarity of the movie that they made. And so that's what we are to do. We are to, to present and preserve the original quality of the gospel, 
to preserve that the salt, you know, preserves the original quality of the gospel, the cutting edge of the gospel, that Jesus Christ can change and transform lives. To give them a vision, a clear vision of the gospel. Matthew Henry said, prophets should make every place to which they come better for them, endeavoring to sweeten bitter spirits and to make barren souls fruitful by the word of God, which is like the salt cast into the water by Elisha. It was an apt emblem of the effect produced by the grace of God on the, sin, on, grace of God on the sinful heart of man. Whole families, towns, and cities sometimes have a new appearance to the preaching of the gospel Wickedness and evil have been changed into fruitfulness in the works of righteousness, which are through Christ to the praise and glory of God. That the prophet, yes, prophesies against disobedience and prophesies judgment, but at the same time, prophets should make every place to which they come better for them to sweeten bitter spirits and make barren souls fruitful. That's the gospel, is to take people that have been operating their lives under a curse, under the curse of sin, and to give their lives to Jesus Christ and now live a life that's fruitful and blossoming, good waters coming from their lives. No more barrenness, no more bad waters, uh, but the Holy Spirit, I mean, a picture of Jesus said, he that believes in me, rivers of living water will flow through your soul. That's the gospel you know, pray for God tonight to break the condemnation of the past. Moses, Jacob, David, Job, Paul, all had to battle with early bad decisions they had to overcome to press into the new thing that God had for them. You know, you look at the heroes of faith in the Bible, many of them had to overcome serious past mistakes that could have brought a curse on their life. But they battled through it, and they battled through to the blessing of God operating their life. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Our heads are bowed, and our eyes are closed tonight. Appreciate everybody here that's come tonight. Before we go any further in this service, wonder if anybody here tonight, you don't know Jesus Christ or your Lord and Savior, perhaps you find yourself backslidden tonight. Maybe you feel like tonight you're operating under a curse. You've made some bad decisions or maybe some curses have been put on you. You know, the people of Jericho, the day I'm talking about, they didn't do anything. I mean, I'm sure there were sinners there, but I'm saying they didn't do anything to cause the curse of the waters of that city and the barrenness of the ground of that city. They didn't, it wasn't their sin. It was the sin of the past. You know, and, and Elisha speaks a blessing. He, he casts in the salt to the source of that water, and all of a sudden there's new streams, fresh streams. You can drink now. The ground can be watered now with good water. It breaks the power of barrenness in our lives. 
And many people, they, they operate their whole life over something that's happened to them in the past or over something they did in the past. And they don't realize that, you know what, that was then, this is now. God wants to turn your life around. I thank God when I gave my life to Jesus, April 27, 1980, my life was a picture of being cursed. I was, I was walking in the curses of my sin and my rebellion, my own uh, bad decisions, consequences had piled up upon my life. But you know what? There was new streams began to flow in my life. All of a sudden, I began to have the potential to be fruitful in God, to be forgiven, to be refreshed, to be filled with the Holy Ghost and new waters operating in my life. And God wants to do that for you tonight. If you're here tonight and you're unsaved, you're backslidden, and you realize, man, I'm, my life, I'm just operating in, in my past bad decisions, the things that have been done to me. I want to break that tonight. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, slip up your hand. Put it right back down. God will help you tonight. You're unsaved. You're backslidden. You need to break that past cycle. God will help you if you respond to him. Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Okay, Christian tonight, this is for you. Jericho, for a long time, man, it's like God had cursed it. It's a man, you ain't, nothing's happened in the city. Some of you may feel like that. Man, I, you know, I did some stuff, and, and I'm, I'm experiencing the consequences, and God just wants me to, listen, we understand consequences. You reap what you sow. It's a spiritual principle. We understand that. But God's end game is always to bless. God's end game is to always restore, and through repentance, God can turn things around in a moment. Uh, Jonah preached the gospel, just preached an eight-word sermon, and a whole city repented. God changed his mind about the consequences he was going to bring to that city because he saw a heart that turned to him. And so God's plan for your life is not for you to operate in what's happened to you or what you did. He's got a great and blessed future for you. Amen. We're going to stand this evening. The altars are open. If you'd like to come and pray.